Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Pinstripe Perspective Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Coles, doing something not even a little bit different today. It's just another variation of what I posted last Friday, an episode of the Clubhouse Talks. So last Friday, we uploaded a couple snippets, not the whole thing. This week, we're going to upload the whole thing, the whole 45 minutes. And if you're wondering what the whole thing is, basically what a friend of mine, Cameron Toe, and I do every Thursday is host a room on the social audio app known as Clubhouse, centered around the New York Yankees. Uh, it's called NYY Takes. Basically, what we do is we open up this room, let anyone who wants to join in and chat with us, get involved on a conversation about the Yankees, um, you know, come in as they see fit. And we record these conversations. You know, this one, for example, was about six-ish people talking for about 45 minutes. And we talk about the Yankees. What's more fun than that? In this specific episode, we talked about Giancarlo Stanton's hot streak since playing in the outfield and, you know, what playing in the outfield can mean for him. Aaron Judge playing center field, we talked about kind of the general sentiment around that. Definitely spoke a bit about Andrew Velasquez and how Gleyber Torres might respond once he comes back from the IL. Also spoke about DJ LeMahieu's contract, which was actually kind of an interesting conversation given, you know, the, the feelings around that prior to signing him and the feelings around that now. But yeah, if you want to get involved on Clubhouse, just download the app. You might have to be nominated. I'm not even totally sure. But if you do want to join these conversations, you can shoot me a DM at rcoles0206 on Twitter. That's at R-C-O-L-E-S-0206. Our goal here is just to have, you know, a very open conversation, open discourse, live audio podcast on the Yankees for anyone to join in and get their voice heard on these podcasts. So if that's something that interests you, if you want to um, kind of grow your Yankees community and, 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 you know, get engaged a little bit, um, those, those, those Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern, NYY takes rooms on MLB on CH are for you. MLB on CH alone has about 1.5 thousand followers. We host daily rooms, not just about the Yankees, but also just about, you know, news, rumors, and baseball generally. So that's a lot of fun. But yeah, I hope you guys enjoy. Hearing Yankee fans talk is pretty interesting sometimes. Very, very passionate bunch. Um Probably have another episode on Monday after the Oakland series. And yeah, hope you enjoy. Um, would love to get more and more people in these clubhouse rooms as possible every day. And I'll talk to you on Monday. Welcome, everyone, to the second installment of what we're going to call NYY Takes, where we really get into the meat of things with all things New York Yankees. I can already see uh, Robert Coles, my uh, co-host and colleague, banging his head against his desk. But anyways, Coles, how are you doing? 
Doing well. Can't complain too much. Yankees have won 11 straight. Had a tweet last night that that got a little bit of flack. But uh, other than that, feeling alive. Yeah, so we're going to get into that uh, momentarily. Oddly enough, we're going to have a similar sequence to how we operated the room last week. But to start things off, we're going to ask the question that we ask everyone in this room, which is, Yankees fans, are we happy today? Yes, sir. We're playing Oakland. Hell yeah, we're happy. I'm thrilled, man. I can't feel any better. I got my concerns, but I'm feeling real good right now. I'm ecstatic, you know, uh, just hanging it one game at a time and, uh, you know, hoping that we can keep the streak alive. I'm actually not too thrilled. I saw on Twitter that Coles hates Andrew Velasquez, which sort of offended me to see him so passionately hate a player, which I enjoy watching. So for that reason, I'm not thrilled. Hey, what, 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 what? You said Garrett Cole hates Andrew Velasquez. Is that what he just no, said? No, we'll, we'll get to it later, but it had something to do with uh, my, my Twitter presence last night. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know if you can be happier the Yankees, as a Yankees fan. This 11-game winning streak is the longest winning streak since, I believe, the mid-'80s. Like, there have been a few times when the team has won 10 games in a row, but never 11 games in a row. And to do it against a team that had won nine straight going into this mini two-game set in the Atlanta Braves, I think, makes it even more impressive. And what makes it most impressive is that they actually won another Andrew Heaney start. So I think we can start there, just a mini recap of the Braves series and just how we feel coming out of that, going into Oakland starting tonight. Hopefully we can all stay up to watch the end of that game. I will probably not be able to survive that, but I know Coles will. So Coles, you want to start us off just very quickly. What are your takeaways from the Braves series and how are you feeling about it? Yeah, that first game felt like a little bit of a steal. Montgomery really didn't have his best stuff. And I think he went he went five innings. So I think he only had like two strikeouts. And then uh, eventually, you know, you go to the bullpen. Loisaga gives you two innings. And then I forget who actually closed out that first game. But regardless, that first one definitely felt like a game that the Yankees were primed to lose. Just kind of thinking about how it unfolded. Like, obviously, it was 1-1 going into the sixth. And that's kind of in the territory of, you know, oh, okay, things this this might be the end of uh, end of the winning streak the hitting isn't looking good Waskari Noah was kind of pitching pitching really well he, he looked very good and I was a little surprised by that because some of his expected stuff this season hasn't been great but I mean the biggest takeaway from that first game was Giancarlo Stanton just continued to carry the team he had that that homer in the in the top of the second to give them the 1-0 lead early and then in that 1-1 game in the sixth hit, hit a double to make it 3-1 then obviously Gary had that little CNI single in the top of the eighth to give them the 5-1 lead but I mean, the more the more entertaining game in the series was the second one, where we all got you know the the late game heart attack that I think everyone in here has has actually grown fond of this season because it's been such a recurring theme. But I mean, takeaways from that one: Giancarlo again, Homer continued carrying the team. Gary Sanchez. So the thing with Gary Sanchez, these two games, he had two RBI singles this series that Gary Sanchez of a year ago doesn't get because he's probably one of like the unluckiest hitters on the face of planet Earth. It was very nice to see him kind of go inside out to right field against the shift in that second game of the series. That tied the game for the Yankees. And then obviously LeMayu has the two-run homer to make it 4-2. And then there's all that mayhem 
in the ninth inning with with Chapman and and Wandy. So the the, the overall t- takeaways for me is that easily two games the Yankees could have lost, but with the way things are going, it ended up being two games they won. And if I were to take anything super negative away from the both of those, is that Aroldis Chapman, I guess, seriously cannot be trusted in any high leverage situations right now. Well, for me, um, the two game recap by Atlanta showed that. They play great defense. Uh, Stanton's still on fire. Judge keeps on hitting. Um, they're pitching real well. I know Andrew Heaney, uh, you know, he goes has a quick two outs, and then kind of struggles, gets two runs, then he settles down. He does well. Him and Montgomery. But, you know, it's, it's in the hot Atlanta. So Atlanta usually, that's why the pitchers, they can't last that long because from the heat and the humidity, but all in all, they did really well um, the first game. Chapman actually closed out the game. And the second game, it was a real uh, heartbreaker where Chapman almost blew it. But so far, I mean, they came away with the win. I'm really happy with the results. Um, they're coming together, getting healthier with Gio coming back tonight against Oakland. Glaber Torres should be next, hopefully. And... Uh, the only thing that I'm not happy about is that during this 11-game winning streak, we only gained two games on Tampa Bay, and that's not good. And we kind of needed Philly, and Philly didn't help us. So we got to keep on winning. We need Tampa to lose. So that's my recap. Yeah, it's funny how the Phillies and the Twins, who couldn't beat the Red Sox, also are just two of the most useless franchises in all of Major League Baseball. But it's interesting that we bring up Giancarlo Stanton, and Stanton is obviously in the title of this morning's room. And the official take from Coles and me as part of staying room only is that Giancarlo Stanton should play the outfield more. And he's even said that, hey, like when I play the outfield, it allows me to take a more holistic approach to my game. I don't have to focus on only one aspect, and it just makes him a lot calmer when he's at the dish. And He's seen the results. In August, he's sitting 320, has an OPS of 1034, which is the second highest by an American League player behind. Interestingly enough, um, Anthony Santander, if you have a minimum of 75 plate appearances. So let's get on to the topic that I wanted to discuss, which is Giancarlo Stanton. Should he be playing the outfield more? How do we feel about having the... I I I loved... um, I think it was yesterday when Lindsay Adler threw out a tweet and asked the fan base to nickname this outfield of left to right Gallo, Judge, and Stanton. And the best name that I saw in the replies was the three true outcomes. So we're going to go to that. How do we feel about the outfield of the three true outcomes? And is this something that's sustainable? Should Stanton be playing the outfield more? Do we think that if he does so, he's going to get injured? Is Aaron Judge going to injure himself playing center field? Let's go. Let's talk about this giant outfield and what we've been seeing from that. I love it. I, I've had conversations with, you know, my, what I consider my, my inner circle of close friends who are die, Yankees diehards as well. Um, personally, I don't like judge in center, right? Is, right. is where he belongs. Um, that's where he's proven to be most effective. I feel, um, I think Joey Gallo should be in center field. He seems to have the, the speed, uh, you know, necessary to, you know, to be able to go, you know, left to right and right to left and so on and so forth. I think Stan should be playing the outfield more. You know, I will say this. I understand, obviously, the concerns with, you know, him being injury prone and whatnot. So, you know, take, say, for example, the Yankees play five games in a week. 
let him play three or four games in the outfield and DH one or two days. You know, I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, and if he's proven, you know, just to continue to, you know, be a healthy asset to, you know, to the team, you know, in the outfield, you know, give him more playing time, let him play a week in the row and then give him a, a day off or something like that. I, I like the outfield we have. And so, you know, I'm excited about, you know, what's been happening. I just wish, and this is just a side note, I wish Joey Gallo wouldn't be striking out. So, so God forsaken much. I think we, I can, I can speak on behalf of every Yankee fan out there. Um, but yeah, I, I love what they're doing, and hopefully, uh, you know, they, they're able to sustain this, and Stanton's able to continue what he's been doing. Hey guys, I like uh, Stanton in the outfield. I think it gives the lineup more flexibility because now you can uh, DH Luke Voigt, so that way you can get Rizzo and Voigt in the lineup at the same time. And people also tend to forget that Stanton is actually a pretty good outfielder. You know, he could definitely hold his own out there. But again, you know, he is, like was said, injury prone. So maybe you don't want him out there, you know, six times a week, you know, but definitely three times. You know, I do like the idea of having him in the outfield. And again, it does, you know, put his head into the game. So I just think it's a win-win. Yeah, I believe it's a win-win with Jock Carlson. I'm so happy that he's back in the outfield. I always thought he should be in the outfield for his injuries. You know, he was a top five, you know, one of the best baseball players in the game with the Marlins. Came to New York. I know the injuries to me were fluke. But when he's in the outfield, he performs better. And it shows, especially this year. And, you know, when the guys get healthy, you're going to have Sanchez at catcher. Gio Arshella at third. Glaber Torres at short. DJ LeMahieu at second, Anthony Rizzo at first. That opens the door for Luke Voigt to play DH. And this way you have Aaron Judge in right, which he sh- which uh, he should stay at and play there, standing in left, and Gallo in center. I hate when Judge is in center because I don't think he has the speed. If really a ball gets hit real hard to where he can't track it down where Gallo does. And um, I believe Gallo's more athletic. And Stanton, uh, you know, you could switch him off uh, left field or right field, you know. Stanton, is, he's the guy that I'll never, ever doubt. I know Yankee fans always hated him. They want to jump on him. You know, I always said New York sports, New York fans, they're very smart. And in other sports, at the same time, they could be very arrogant and obnoxious and stupid because they, all they want to do is pick on one person because of his money. The way I look at it, John Carlos Stanton, we got him for free. We just took on his contract. Stanton waived uh, his no-trade clause to come to New York, which he rejected from St. Louis, San Francisco. I think it was only the Yankees and Dodgers he said he would only play for. Uh, Stanton's still uh, a top player, whether people like him or not. And if he's big down the stretch, I remember seeing him in the playoffs before the injury happened against Houston. If Stanton's healthy and ready to go. This is the reason why I believe we could win the World Series is because Stan's production. Yeah, that, that was very well said, Kassem. I think there's a lot to be said, especially for a player like Stan, who was struggling so much at the beginning of the season in that DH spot. There's got to be a snowballing effect to only hitting three times and then in those at-bats when you strike out, hearing 50,000 people boo you back to the dugout and then sitting on that same dugout bench until your next at-bat and, and only thinking about at-bats. Whereas when you're playing in the field, you're more involved in the game, you know, holistically. And and Stanton was used to that for his entire career in Miami. 
so, you know, it, it probably in some ways distracts him a little bit from overthinking about, you know, overthinking his at bats and he's able to kind of, you know, you know, focus in on, on what he's got to do both on the field and at the plate. And then on judge starting in center, I'm okay with it. I'm not in love with it on that play in game two against Atlanta where, um, I think it was, I think it was like first and third, two outs, Austin Riley, Yankees were up four twos, like in the six or something. Austin Riley hit that ball, like kind of into the gap where, um, Freddie Freeman eventually got gunned down at the plate, but judge kind of looked slow getting to that ball. Judge looked pretty slow getting to some ground balls out in center field. But at the same time, I do think it is important, you know, if the Yankees do want to get all of their important bats in the lineup, especially in an NL park, it's kind of like a, you know, a risk you have to take and and something you kind of have to do. So I don't hate it so much in that regard, but you know, I doubt we'll see that regularly once we get back to AL, you know, starting tonight, once we get back to like AL parks, because you can, you can use that DH, that DH spot to your advantage. Well, doesn't it also matter which part people are talking about? Because we can, we can talk about how many days a week Stanton should play the outfield, but playing left field in Oakland where they're playing tonight, probably one game there takes as much out of your body as like two games at Fenway in left field. So I think it sort of matters what stadium you're playing in. Because, I mean, I don't want Stanton playing that much in the outfield in Oakland. Like that outfield's huge in left field. Yeah, I mean, man. you're totally right, Max. I think that's why we're not going to see this lineup like every day, like the, the big boppers. That's bigger than the 1972 Dolphins offensive line, quoting Mike Sure there. But then again, come playoff time, you're going to want to see this lineup pretty much every day because you need your best bats in there. You're going to go up against the best pitching in the league. And if Luke Voigt is sitting on your bench and Brett Gardner is getting at bats, I think that's a detriment to the team. So I think what's important moving forward is simply just to keep all these guys fresh um, so like Kendall said, maybe you shouldn't play Stanton every day in the outfield, but give him three days, four days a week, work him up, treat this as kind of like spring training 2.0 in a sense that, okay, you are transitioning from DH to outfield. We're going to give you reps. We'll take you out after the six or seventh inning, depending on where your spot is in the lineup and go from there. But come playoff time, we should expect to see those three guys in the outfield and Luke Voigt at DH. And in terms of Judge in center field, people forget that Judge was a center fielder growing up. From college to his early days in the minors, it was not until they, frankly, got better athletes and also just wanted to keep him more fresh that they moved him over to the right. So I'm fine with keeping Judge in center field somewhat regularly over the course of the rest of the season, especially if you're going to take Stanton out late innings, put in Gardner in center, and move Judge over to right. I have no problem with that at all. Yeah, the only thing I was looking at is, you know, I'm just I'm trying to look ahead if the guys get injured, uh, if the guys get healthy, and what a lineup will have. You know, let's say we do have, you know, going into the playoffs, whether you're a division winner or a wild card, you know, you look at it as you don't know how the batting lineup would order, but that'd be a big threat to the other team. Like, oh my God, this is really a potential lineup where it could be murder's row and end up killing the other team's starting pitcher. Uh, working their uh, the count, uh, making them you know maybe a short game for the pitcher. Uh, that's why I do believe that Stanton should be in the outfield with Gallo and Judge and keep uh, Hiyashioka and Brett Garner uh, road next to Odor. And you know I I got a feeling it's going to be Tyler Wade. I'd love to keep Andrew Velasquez because the way I look at it with Andrew Velasquez and Tyler Wade. Is these guys not only um, you know Tyler Wade showed he could play some good defense. I'll give him credit on that. And he could play a lot of positions, 
But these two guys, not only could they play defense, but I love them as the um, as the guys that can steal bases. Like, let's say, you know, you could pinch run for Stanton or pinch run for, you know, somebody that's not fast enough. You get these two guys on base. They could be a double steal, help change the game, try to take the lead. That's the way I'm looking at, you know, small ball. And that's why I like those guys, if it's Odor, Velasquez, and Tyler Wade with Brett Gardner and Kyle Hiyashioka on the bench. I would really like that. I know they prefer more pitchers, but, you know, at the same time, I, I, I look for speed, change the game with their uh, with their defense and speed on the base path. So that I, that, that was my thing for that, uh, for the guys being on the bench and having that lethal lineup when everyone gets healthy. I think another point is that, yeah, we mentioned that it lengthens the lineup, but do we really understand just how much that this lengthens the lineup? If Judge is playing center, Stan is playing right, and Void is DHing, and everyone's healthy, the seven, eight, nine hitters are likely to be Sanchez, Torres, and Urshela. That is absurd. That is probably the best lineup in the American League, maybe the best lineup in the entire league, um, except the Dodgers. And I don't know why fans are just so hesitant to play Stanton in the, in the outfield like regularly because look, I mean, yeah, there's a chance he's going to get injured, but I don't think that we should be scared of injuries because it doesn't really matter if Stanton is in the outfield or DH, he's probably going to get injured anyway, at least once a season. So you might as well throw him out there, especially since there's not that much time left. And yeah, I mean, just the amount of offensive benefit it gives you, it doesn't really take away much on the defensive end either, especially if he, there's going to be a defensive replacement later in games. So to me, it's a no-brainer. I'm willing to hear arguments um, on the contrary, but that's my position. The most ideal scenario for Stanton is playing right field at Yankee Stadium because it's, you know, like Max said, it, it is dependent on where you're playing. I mean, that's as far as ideal spots for Stanton to play defensively, it is right field, and then you can do what you want with Judge, whether that be him playing center, whether that be him in the DH spot. If it's against righties, they might have, you know, Judge DH, Stanton in right, Gardner in center, Gallo in left, because you're probably going to play Void more against lefties. So, you know, I mean, right field for Stanton is a good home. Well, I think part of my issue, too, is we're not only talking about injuries, like we're very specifically talking about hamstring injuries, which can tend to linger or they can tend to come back. And also, though, like hamstring injuries are normally a result of just running a lot. So it's not only my concern about him being injured in general, like people get injured. It's specifically he has these hamstring injuries, which it's like I'm a football fan. Deshaun Jackson always had hamstring injuries. And Every year, it's like, when is he getting his hamstring injury? So these things tend to come back and not go away. Well, somehow Stanton has managed to be relatively injury-free this year. And I'm just wondering if maybe some of those injuries came about when he was DHing because of the very idea that, you know, his head wasn't 100% into the game. You know, being a DH only and that maybe he's being more careful or being more mindful. He can concentrate better on the game, you know, as an outfielder, and maybe he's less likely to get an injury. I don't know, but um, that, that's how I see it. Yeah, I, I think, well, first of all, I think Yankees hiring Eric Cressy to sort of lead their, like, nutritional and rehab programs really helped the team in general just feels like it's more professional now because back a few years ago like there if you looked at yankee uh workout videos you would see videos of like luke voigt 
uh, bench pressing with one arm. It was all these like ridiculous, like, just like, how do we get bigger and stronger? There was absolutely no flexibility training. There's no yoga, all that stuff that a lot of these more progressive teams use. So I think that just organization in general has gotten better with their strength training. Yeah, for sure. And the last point I want to make on Stanton is the way the dude has been hitting the ball is very typical of Giancarlo Stanton, I think. Like, he's not hitting pop-ups, fly balls, not really worrying too much about launch angle. The guy is hitting seeds. That home run he hit in Atlanta, I think in game one, like, opposite field pretty much down the line, got out in no time whatsoever. That is the classic Giancarlo Stanton home run that we've been seeing over the past month or so. And when he's hitting the ball like that, that's when you know he's on. That's when you know he's about to carry the team. And that's what leads him to having the second highest OPS in the American League this month. So that, to me, more than anything, indicates that the dude is on fire. Play him in the outfield more because clearly that's doing something to his bat. Yeah, but I was going to say the same thing. Uh, you know, the way he's been hitting home runs, I know from the previous with the couple of years with the Yankees, but, you know, this year is different. When he's hitting the ball, he's really, like, crushing it where it's really going out of the stadium. I mean, he could be hitting a laser and that thing is just carrying. That's the difference. I think, you know, with baseball players, um, them playing the outfield, I think they get that more in, uh, adrenaline going through their body to where they feel more active instead of, you know, sitting down, waiting for their next at bat. You know, I'm, I was always a fan of Stanton from the day he was with Miami. And, you know, I'm happy as a Yankee. Um, he's a he's a hell of a player when healthy and everything. If he's back to his own self, you know, he's like I said, he, he could be a top five, top 10 baseball player in the league. And, uh, you know, I'm just happy we have him and he's really showing it. He's really showing it. And I'm glad the, I'm glad he's on our side. All right, everyone. Welcome to MYY Takes on MLB on CH, the number one place for baseball on Clubhouse. We are presented by Standing Room Only. Please give us a follow on Twitter at SRL Baseball. We post highlights from a YouTube series we do every morning called Red Eye Rundown. We have a lot of fun doing it, and we hope you do check it out. Speaking of Red Eye Rundown, our good friend Robert Coles took to the show to defend his tweet from last night. And... He had a lot to say about fan favorite Andrew Velasquez. Coles, you want to take us through this whole scenario? Yeah, sure. I mean, basically, so yesterday I was listening to the Michael K show, and I had been listening to it, you know, I, I listen to it pretty much every day. And something I found funny was that Yankees fans, a lot of these callers are characters. But what I found funny was a lot of these callers would refer to Andrew Velasquez as, you know, this kid or this this young guy, like this young guy out of nowhere or something, something like that. And it just occurred to me that there's that there's definitely a chance that a lot of these people have no idea that Andrew Velasquez is 27 years old and has been a part of, you know, four different organizations already. And it hasn't gone well for him, really. So I, I tweeted I tweeted that out, that thought, that little stream of consciousness. And I think a lot of people agreed with me, but there's definitely a. a uh, a loud, a loud group of people that that took that as me poo-pooing on what's probably the most lovable story for the Yankees so far this season. I definitely meant no, no, no harm by it, and, and it's definitely no, uh, no flack against Velasquez, but definitely maybe some flack against some of the Yankee fans that, as we all know in this room, probably can be a bit oblivious sometimes. 
Yeah, I, I can attest to how oblivious Yankee fans can be. And I'm a lifelong Yankee fan, but I've had to, like, find my way out of a lot of so-called pro-Yankee groups. You know, people can just be so stupid. You know, the hatred they have for Brett Gardner, you know, just throw him out, you know, retire him and all that. You know, and I'm not surprised that there's flack against uh, Velasquez because, you know, the vocal Yankee fans, they, 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 they tend to see the worst of everything. And, you know, and they do it without any rational thought, which is, I guess, they guess why they, they call them fans to begin with, short for fanatics. But um, I think Velasquez is a great story. I think he's a good piece on the Yankees. No, he's not a prospect. No, he's not ever going to be a superstar, but, you know, he's a guy that the Yankees need, you know. And my concern is going forward when uh, Gio and Torres comes back, you know, who's going to be cut? You know, is it going to be Velasquez and go back down? Is it going to be Wade and they're going to send him down again? Or maybe they'll even uh, jettison a pitcher or two. Yeah, that's a big question, Kendall. Uh, I was saying the same thing once Gio, you know, Gio's back tonight and when Gleyber Torres comes back, you know, that was my question before. Is, wow, I'd like to keep Tyler Wade and Andrew Velasquez. But for me, Andrew Velasquez is a great story. I uh, grew up in New York, um, you know, playing very well. Um, he's comfortable. He's a player that we need. He's a player that helped us for this 11-game winning streak. His, uh, you know, his speed. Uh, stealing bases, his defense. Uh, he's still a young kid, but he's a, he's a part of uh, the process and what's going on. And he's helped us with this uh, 11-game winning streak. And, uh, you know, he's a big part of it. It's a feel-good story. You got a lot of Yankee fans that's going to hate no matter what, whether it's Stanton, Gardner, whoever. It doesn't matter. If they don't like you, they don't like you. That's just called being obnoxious. And... I like Velasquez. I think it's a wonderful story, and I hope he keeps it. And for me, I hope he stays on the team when everyone gets healthy. Here's what I'll say about Yankees fans. There's so many Yankees fans on this planet. And I do think for the most part, Yankees fans are, in terms of baseball knowledge, there's a lot of very knowledgeable fans. And you see this when you go to games. Yankees fans are very proactive like they, they're not just a reactive crowd. They, they have a good sense for the game of baseball, and they kind of understand things. But on the flip side, it's like some Yankee fans are the most toxic, vitriolic human beings on this earth. So I, I think it's more so a testament to the fact that there's just so many of them, and you're going to have a lot that are overreactors and not very patient. Michael K. yesterday had a whole you know, soliloquy on the impatience of Yankee fans and New York sports fans in general. So it is definitely interesting. But yeah, there's just so many. And, and, and for the most part, they are engaged and, and, and pretty intelligent when it comes to when it comes to baseball. But there's definitely some uh, some bad apples. One good thing about Velasquez actually is uh, on a positive note, we have him under control for the next three years. He technically so if like, let's say he did turn out to be not just a flash in the pan and like an actual decent backup. We have all of his arbitration years ahead, which is the next three years. So it's a nice little piece of control if we decide he's like a solid backup. Well, yeah, that, they could work that to their to uh, the Yankees' advantage. You know, what I mean by Yankee fans is that um, 
You know, I remember going to uh, a game in 2010, and I'm a Yankee fan, and I was fighting with the Yankee fans in the back because they're so obnoxious and rude, and they just they're just loud. You know, you got some smart ones like you know Robert, like you were talking about, but you know there's some ruthless dummies, you know, obnoxious, just uh, cold-hearted, don't understand anything. It's our way or nobody's way. So that's the way I look at it. Yeah, there's definitely some character to that. And just going back to Velasquez's, for some reason, I I don't know, something tells me that the Yankees prefer him over Wade. And I'm not so sh- – I'm probably wrong about that. But I think he, he is a – and Wade's fine defensively. Wade's pretty good defensively. But Velasquez is better defensively at shortstop than T. Wade. And, and Velasquez is a switch hitter. He's, he's, he's not much of a hitter, but he at least, you know, creates less of a matchup logjam. And I think, I don't know, it feels like the Yankees are a little kind of like fed up with T-Wade. Like he, he was starting to hit well, but, but at the same time, he's had so many opportunities to really prove himself and hasn't done it. And I, I think if the Yankees are going to look for someone to bring in late in games, put it shortstop, they'd rather have that. Be, or someone fill in at shortstop, they'd probably rather have that be Velasquez's glove than T. Wade's. I'm right there with you, Robert. I think Tyler Wade, quite frankly, is, is uh, rock of a better term, overrated. Um, I'm not impressed with his bat. He's a good, he is good defensively. Um, he's got good speed. But, at the, at, at, you know, at the end of the day, you're looking for someone, you know, who is balanced. And I just don't see him as a very well-balanced player. Um, great on the base pass again. But, uh, you know. I think that uh, come off season, I think the Yankees have got to. Uh, if they're going to make a cut on someone, they got, I think I'd say get rid of Tyler Wade uh, without hesitation. Um, and I, I've been hearing a lot of flack recently about Glaber Torres, how he's been injured, blah blah blah. I, I personally, I like Glaber. He's had a couple issues in the field so far this year, but he's come up and made up for it with some pretty unbelievable plays, if I may say so myself. So. I'm I'm excited to have Torres back and have him healthy for uh, for the, for the push to potentially win this division. And I mean, I mean, four games back, you never know what could happen, especially with a month and a half left in the season. And I'll say this about Glaber: I don't know if anyone remembers, but earlier in the season, it feels like forever ago. But I remember there was a ground ball that he didn't really run out, and I think he might have been benched the next day. And then after that, he came back and started playing a much better defensive shortstop and started hustling more and and hitting better. So I I do think Glaber is someone that actually responds well to these types of things. I think him coming back, feeling like he has something to prove will only be a positive for him. He strikes me as as someone that responds well to that type of stuff. So I'm excited to see how he is able to kind of, amongst this Andrew Velasquez narrative and this whole not good defensive shortstop narrative that kind of surrounds him and, you know, how he doesn't, the power numbers have gone away this year, how he actually is able to respond when he does get the chance. Yeah, and I'll say this about Tyler Wade. Basically, you need to think about what his role would be moving forward if everything were in a perfect scenario. What I've noticed about Wade is that he hits well once he starts getting regular at-bats. This was the case in the minor leagues, and now it's been the case over the past month or so when injuries have allowed him to gain a regular starting spot. Tyler Wade is not an everyday major league player, let's face it. And there are better options that are coming back imminently to replace him. And therefore, why would the Yankees keep him if they know that he's going to regress back to his zero bat self once he returns to the bench? And Velasquez being the better shortstop, by the way, which is where 
a defensive replacement in the infield would go during the playoffs. Someone will sign that short, maybe Glaber moves to second or he's taken out. And with Rizzo at first, that obviously eliminates the need for DJ to move over, replacing Voigt later in the games. So just by that alone, I would much rather keep Velazquez. I don't know how he would do necessarily as a bench player at the plate, but then again, hopefully you don't even need him to take in a bat in a perfect scenario. So for all those reasons, Velasquez gets my vote over Wade. Nothing against Wade really other than the ample opportunities he's had beforehand, which I guess is a bunch against him. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, for me, it's a, for me, it's an easy call. 100%. 100%. 100%. I'm so happy that Glaber's coming back. I know everybody's been down his throat. But, you know, down the stretch, everybody knows what Glaber can do. And when the playoff time comes, oh, man, everybody knows he can hit. Yes, he has to work on his defense, but at the same time, it's a learning process. I'm really happy that Glaber and Gio are coming back because, especially Gio at third base, I really like it. I just uh, want to weigh in on this, you know. I have a little bit of a concern about uh, DJ, you know. I'm just wondering. I mean, now here we are in late August going into September, and he still hasn't turned into the batting champion MVP candidate that we're that we've become used to and I'm just wondering is this going to be the DJ that we're going to see for the next five or six years however long his uh contract extension is I mean he is 32 years old and I'm just wondering if he's starting on a downslide or is this just an aberration yeah Kendall I I do think that the DJ that we came to know and love in 2019 and 2020 is more likely than not a a thing of the past. Um, But, you know, in the month of August, he's actually been pretty good. He's batting, you know, 280, almost 300. He's got a 370 on base percentage. Um, He's been one of the better hitters in the lineup this month, which is incredibly encouraging considering he had that triceps issue. Um, after that that crazy play to end the game at the at the trap a, a handful of weeks back, so I mean right now he's he's definitely starting to contribute more, and you see that in his production and in his results. But I mean the three the batting title you know batting three thirty three fifty DJ is probably if I if I had to guess you know gun to my head probably not coming back. But I mean if he's going to give you know a two eighty batting average and a three seventy OBP. You take that every time. And he had that home run the other night to left field, which I didn't think he was capable of doing anymore. So, you know, I, it's been encouraging recently. But, yeah, on a whole, this season has been a little worrying with DJ. Well, we are very lucky enough to hear from DJ LeMahieu's number one hater this season. What about DJ LeMahieu's number two hater? Max, you have anything to say about this? Well, I, I wouldn't say I'm a DJ hater. I'm just a hater of these contracts, which... They're always for more years than I'd like, and then every fan justifies it because, oh, the AAV's low. See Aaron Hicks as an example, like seven years, 70 million. I feel like these type of contracts always don't. Whenever Yankees do a contract where people are like, oh, look at this deal, like this is a great deal, I feel like it always is like misleading, and there's always like some catch to it. For DJ, it's a six-year thing. I mean, that's a lot of years, even if the AAV is low. But no, I do think DJ is a very good player. It's, it's more I hate on the contract. I think people yeah, think contract. that uh, Aaron Hicks is younger than he is. He's not. Aaron Hicks is just younger. Is a year younger than DJ LeMahieu. I don't see anybody really wanting him or getting anything for him. 
due to his, his injury history. And he's just, I don't know. I, I used to be a believer in Aaron Hicks, but uh, I think I've given up on that. No, true, but I'm just saying the contract was actually $10 million a year. It's not, it's not like what the other people are making, especially in the outfield. Yeah, I mean, if you if you gave if you were giving ten million a year to, I mean, the player that Aaron Hicks was in twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen was a really really good baseball player, and that's when he got this extension. So at the time, you're thinking, oh, this is great, but then I don't know, things just changed with Hicks. He had all those oblique issues. I remember he came into spring training one year much bulkier, like he 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 wanted to you know get a lot more muscular, and I think like Max had kind of referenced earlier, um, sort of the quasi immaturity of the Yankees um, like trainings with that, like Luke Voigt video, putting up a bench press with one arm. It's like, seemed like dudes were just trying to get jacked. Even if you look at guys like Stanton, he looks slimmer now, same with judge slimmer now than he did two years ago. Um, and I think the Yankees have really focused on, you know, flexibility and, and being able to, you know, stay on the field for the long haul. And we've seen that. I mean, judge is going to play the most games he's played in the season this season since 2017. So there's a lot to be said there. And I think, Hopefully Hicks is able to kind of follow suit there. But he he had the build of a great center fielder. He had like the Ken Griffey body build and then he just he just like seemed to be lifting way too many weights in the offseason and then couldn't really cover ground in center field anymore. So yeah, I mean at the time it felt like a great contract, but it's but it's kind of deteriorated. Because Sam made a good point about the Blue Jays offering uh LeMayhew that contract. Here's my question. What did the Blue Jays end up doing instead of LeMayhew when that didn't go through? Signed Marcus Simeon, and now he's having a hell of a year. Right, and it's not a six-year duel. I maybe they wish it was a six-year deal, but yeah, I understand, yeah. Max. You got to understand. You got there. You got to pay Lemayo of the two years that he and what he did with the Yankees. And let's admit it, he was a batting champion, a, a MVP candidate. You look, we were all scared. I thought we were going to lose Lemayo. I really did. I I thought, oh, okay, he, he's gone because the Yankees are not going to pay him. Also, so, is it, isn't that paying for past performance? Like that—that's what the Angels did with Albert Pujols. It's like we got to pay you because in the past you did this. Exactly, Albert Pujols was the best player in baseball. Would you pay him a ten-year deal? Well, Miguel Cabrera's contract when they signed him wasn't he the best player in the? That's yeah, what and they those were. Him. But the Pujols is like one of the worst contracts in MLB history. Yeah, Max, and it's completely Max. crippled. Yeah, but Max, you got to understand something. You have to understand something real quick. We know the end of the contract. We know the end of the contract, you're going to suffer the consequences. It's showing with Pujols, Miguel, but at the present, at the present, you sign them based on their performance. I mean, why these guys are getting paid? Why did Stanton get 300 and something based on his performance? That's what happened. Now, Aaron Judge, let's say he's a free agent after, not, not, uh, after next year, after 2022. Hopefully, there's a baseball season. Uh, is somebody going to pay Aaron Judge a 10-year deal at the age of 31? Or thirty-two years old, you got to look at that. These things, that's what Cashman, Cashman now he's gonna look at. Okay, I got these guys coming up. Gallo's gonna be a free agent. Gallo's gonna want money. Rizzo now he's a free agent. He's gonna want money. I mean, you got to look at their performance. That's what they're going by. I'll say this: is I think the Yankees as an organization really liked DJ. I think DJ was a much more emotional signing than many others. I don't think that the Yankees front office, when they're looking at who to offer contracts to, care much about past performance at all. I think that's more of an ownership thing. And if that is true, then you can you can equate the the DJ signing more so to ownership of the Yankees than than you can the front office. 
but with all this said, I mean, like I said earlier, DJ's having a good August. There is room for him to, to turn it around and be impactful down the stretch here. And I think if he does that, we'll, we won't so much be talking about how bad of a contract it was, but we'll hopefully more so be talking about how he was able to turn this season around and we can be a little bit more optimistic for the future. But regardless, six years is a long time. But while, while that is a long time, it also makes it more flexible within those six years to add to the team rather than four years, 78, which really handcuffs you for four years as opposed to being not so handcuffed for six years, but maybe having, you know, DJ LeMahieu in a wheelchair six years from now, but being able to sign someone that you want because you're not handcuffed to that contract. Yeah, I should say that I don't think the contract is like crippling that as sort of Cole said, like it gives us flexibility. I think I was more just like, airing out my general frustration at all these deals we do that seem like steals on the surface and then end up not really being good. Like the Luis Severino one, it was like crazy. He signed for four years, 40 million. And it's like a month later, he needs Tommy John. Like it's always a little suspicious to me when a player takes a deal like that. Like, I don't don't know. You could look at Severino. You could look at Hicks. You could look at LeMahieu. It's just, those are three examples of deals that so far aren't looking great. The truth is, is that we got seven Max, we got Severino, you know, just for ten million a year. But then you look at it, all these injuries, and the worst part about it is Luis Severino was the reason why we couldn't get Chris Sale because that's what the White Sox wanted, and Cashman said no, without giving up Severino, we could have had Chris Sale. Chris Sale could have been a Yankee. I will say about DJ Lemayhew that as long as he starts seeing the ball in the air, normally good things happen. And I don't remember where I saw this on Twitter. It was from an account that our friend Mr. Coles runs. But I was shocked that DJ LeMahieu was able to hit that home run in Atlanta. Probably the most shocking moment of the series. So hopefully that's a sign of good things to come. But anyway, once again, this is MYY Takes on MLB on CH presented by Standing Room Only. Please give us a follow at SRO Baseball on Twitter. We post a daily YouTube show called Red Eye Rundown, highlights of that. Please do check it out if you have some time. This room will also be posted as a full episode of the Pinstripe Perspective podcast. So if you want your friends to hear you or if they want to hear themselves talk about the Yankees on the internet moving forward, please invite them to join this club. Join this room every Thursday at 11 a.m. I'm having a great time so far, and we'll be continuing this for the rest of the year and into the offseason. Down to our final topic for today is previewing the series out west in Oakland in that dump of a stadium that they have. The A's are coming off of losing 2-3 of to Seattle. They are currently a game and a half back of Boston for the second wildcard spot, four and a half back of the Yankees for the first wildcard spot, and only a game ahead of Seattle for like the first runner-up behind the second wildcard spot. The pitching matchups for this four-game series. Tonight, we have our old friend James Caprillion against Jameson Tyon. Tomorrow, I believe, is a marquee matchup, Sean Manaya against Garrett Cole. On Saturday, there is Frankie Montes against junk ball man Nestor Cortez Jr., and on Sunday, someone named Blackburn is pitching for Oakland against Jordan Montgomery. What are our expectations for the series against Oakland this weekend? I remember last week, we all wanted the Yankees to take three out of four from the Twins. Turns out because of the fake hurricane, we had only three games in the series and the Yankees took all of them. So extremely satisfactory from last weekend. How do we want the team to perform this weekend? I'm a little worried about what could happen here. I would be fine with taking three out of four or splitting. But the thing that really concerns me is that Tampa is playing Baltimore this weekend in a three-game set, and Tampa just never loses to the Orioles. So my underlying assumption is that Tampa wins those three games, and then if the Yankees 
do drop two here, you know, they, they, they're in danger of dropping to five and a half, six and a half out of the division lead. So, I mean, I mean, when you think about it realistically, the Yankees almost have to win three out of four sweep um, in order to kind of keep pace with Tampa because Tampa, Tampa seems to play Baltimore like every single week. <laughs> That's funny. It's kind of true, to be honest. Uh, you know, I am being realistic, and I'm going to go actually on what Robert's saying. Uh, three out of four would be very good. But I have to, we have to sweep them because uh, Tampa's not losing. They're, they're just not losing. And, and they're the team that I'm only looking after right now to, in order to win that division and to try to have the best record in the American League because, you know, wild card for me is just not going to cut it. Uh, enough with the wild card, uh, you know, playoff teams. I don't want to be a wild card. I want them to win the division. Uh, I think we have the pitchers in order uh, for us to win the series. Because, you know, after that, we're playing the Angels. And for me, uh, the key date for me is September 6th, that Labor Day. Hopefully, everybody will be back and we'll know who will be on the roster. So, by the time they get that, by the time they get to that date, I'm just hoping they're three games out, uh, three or two games out from Tampa. That's, that's, what, that's my goal. So, I'm hoping they sweep. Only because Tampa's not losing. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if it was a split 2-2 simply because Oakland starting pitching is very good. Caprillian's been doing pretty well since he's gotten over his injuries. Shamanaya has been pretty good this season. Montas has a ton of potential. And um, the only reason Blackburn is pitching on Sunday is because Chris Bassett got hit in the head with a line drive, unfortunately. But he was all-star level this season. For me, the key to this series is to get to these starters early, force them to throw a ton of pitches, get into that ace bullpen, which is terrible. They blew so many games over the past month, especially against the Giants last weekend. And I don't have their numbers in front of me, but I remember reading a graphic when I was watching the Ace-Giants series, and woof, it was not very good. So for me... The Yankees need to be a bunch of savages in the box, take pitches, get on base, move runners over, hit the home runs when timely, and get to the bullpen by the fifth inning and go to work against them. Hi, it's Ellie. I'm sorry I just had a second to jump in. I'm at work right now, so um, hearing you guys talk about the Rays, it's like I have this internal battle that's really hard. <laughs> um, I'm happy that the Rays are playing well, but also just like amazed at how well the Yankees are doing and just continue to be astonished that this team that we saw just a few months ago, what they're doing now. So I've enjoyed the room and listening to you guys talk, and I'm a huge Stanton fan, so listening to you, I'm kind of brave about him was cool. And so just great points by everyone. And I'm happy to be here. Hope you guys are having a great day and go Yankees slash Rays, maybe. Well, um, go raising the Yankees room is I can't believe what trouble the Red Sox have even given us this year. And even going back to a few series when you know the Red Sox swept us, and I would I just never expected the Yankees to be at this point in the season and where we are now. So I'm glad it's happening now versus the opposite where they were hot at first and, you know, now losing steam. But I think it's going to be an interesting next few weeks and it's a great time to be a Yankees fan, right? Yeah. So I think that's a good place to wrap for today. Thank you so much again, everyone, for joining us. Only the second time we've been doing MLY takes, but it's been a great conversation the first two times and looking forward to a ton more. I always love having these conversations with all of you guys. Um, definitely a lot of fun. Hope it continues growing into the future because, as Cameron said, this is only our second one ever. So, you know, hopefully we're able to become a little more regular here and, and keep this going. 
Yeah, for sure, guys. So have a great rest of your day and go Yanks. See you next time. Hello, everyone. It's Robert again, post-recording, talking here. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Again, if you want to get involved, shoot me a DM, rcoles0206 on Twitter. Would love to have as many of you as possible talking in these rooms, giving us your takes, and ultimately getting on this podcast, having your voice heard, all that great stuff. So have a great rest of your Friday, a wonderful weekend, and I will talk to you about the Yankees on Monday.